From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. We are starting, though, talking about a labor dispute that is now in its sixth week. And this is the strike at the Rogers Sugar Refinery in Vancouver. And maybe you haven't heard a whole lot about this strike, but again, it has been going on for several weeks. And we're starting to see sugar shortages. Take a listen to the general manager at Lee's Donuts. She was speaking yesterday with Global News. Yeah, some of our um, wholesalers are already sourcing from back east, different different you know other than Rogers um, they're sourcing from all over the place for us on our behalf so so thankful for that but prices have increased and continue to increase and it's just something we have to to look into as it happens that was Carol Kiesbauer with Lee's Donuts talking about the strike at Rogers Sugar and what that does or what that is doing for the sugar supply. Well, joining me now to talk more about this is Sylvain Charlebois, Director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Sylvain, great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you. I feel like every time we talk, it's either about the price of groceries, things that cost more, and it <laughs> tends to be some doom and gloom. Uh, this is not a great story either, as uh, there are talks going on today, so maybe there will be some progress made. But how big of a deal is it that we're seeing the sugar refinery now the strike in its sixth week? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal because, uh, for one well, we are talking about uh, workers uh, and their discontent uh, with, uh, with with their with their working conditions, and it's been happening a lot uh, in the agri-food sector. We see we saw the Saint Lawrence Seaway go on strike, uh, some Sobeys out east, and Metro as well. So it's not surprise surprising to see this. Uh, and we are talking about sugar here. Sugar is a really important ingredient for a lot of different products, and I know. A lot of people are saying, well, it's just sugar. Who cares? Well, sugar is actually in a lot of our products. So a lot of manufacturers out there are scrambling to get uh, that ingredient from down east or in the United States. Small shops, donut shops, uh, shops, uh, bakery shops will use sugar, and they're scrambling as well. Um, so it's, it's a challenge. The pricing issue, I'm not sure I would actually link it to the strike itself because sugar prices are at a 12-year high globally right now. So I, I don't think whether there was a strike or not, I actually think that sugar prices would have gone up anyways. Hmm. And why are they yeah. at, such a high, uh, at such a high right now? Some problems, some production problems uh, down south uh, in uh, South America mainly, uh, which has pushed prices higher around the globe. Uh, in fact, that's why we're seeing candy prices go up, uh, chocolate prices as well. Uh, not surprising. But here's the thing about the Rogers plant uh, sugar strike. It's hard to politicize the issue. It is a sugar plant. A lot of people will say, well, if it's closed, who cares? And so I, I actually think that this conflict, this dispute uh, won't end uh, soon. Uh, we saw it's like the salt plant in Windsor, Ontario. There was a salt uh, strike. I'm sure you never heard about it, but it did happen this year for eight months. It lasted eight months, and people are saying, well, it's sodium. We don't need sodium. We have too much sodium. And that's why that strike lasted eight months. 
You make an interesting point. And I think in all my covering of disputes and strikes, the only one that I can remember that was over almost before it began was the the liquor where they were bottling liquor and beer. And that that one did not last very long. There was a lot of action and a lot of attention paid to it. Oh, yeah. Public pressure. I mean, absolutely. And it's a real issue for for a labor dispute uh, on either side of uh, of this uh, of this equation, you gotta people will uh, show their discontent if, uh, if they're running out of something or if they won't have access to a product or an ingredient. But in the case of sugar, uh, I'm not sure people appreciate how predominant that ingredient in our in our economy. It is predominant, but again, sugar uh, is often related to. Uh, the next quote-unquote cancer. Uh, people are trying to uh, to lessen their consumption of, of sugar, and so they're saying, "Well, why do we need a plant? Uh, it it really, you know, it really offers uh, a a bad ingredient to people. It is an ill of society. So if it's on strike, good for us." Although uh, the that clip I played right off the top of Carol Kisbauer with Lee's Donuts uh, of the Lee's Donuts in Vancouver, whenever if you even go by there, there's usually a lineup out the door. So clearly, some people oh, I know that place. Yeah, are still enjoying. Oh, yeah, I know that place. But here's the thing: so that that business owner will do anything she can to get sure, and she will get sure from the U.S. or or, or from from down east. But guess what's going to happen? The prices of don't prices of donuts they're going to go up. Right, and Dan, she did mention that she's already seeing uh, whether it's uh, because of other issues or because of this, the price uh, going up. Uh, yeah. Rogers Sugar itself is owned by another company, and I, I know this company also operates Atlantic. plants. Atlantic, right, in Montreal, yeah. uh, they have a plant in Alberta. Is it as simple as if this strike continues on for for a longer period of time, uh, upping production at those plants and dealing with the, the shortage that way? Possibly, possibly. I mean, you, you are dealing with with long logistics, uh, logistical routes. That's one. Th- I mean, the sugar industry is divided into two in Canada. You got Red Path and you got Atlantic, essentially. And so, Atlantic has a an interesting network. It can perhaps help your market. We're not going to feel any of the effects of the strike uh, in the Atlantic or Quebec or Ontario. It's highly unlikely. However. Uh, I do suspect that the West uh, will be impacted if this strikes uh, last uh, last for a while. And and again, I know they're back at the table today. Uh, chances are, I don't think that either party will be able or will feel the pressure to settle very quickly. Huh. One of the other things specific to the Vancouver refinery, uh, from what I understand, it's the only Rogers refinery that makes brown and yellow sugar. Does that make a difference? Yeah. A little. It's a specialty sugar. Uh, and so that could actually be uh, a, a, a difference. Although, uh, again, they can actually look at the U.S. Uh, to get some of that product into Canada. The decaying the dollar is not an issue right now. It's at $73 or 73 cents on a dollar. So it's still not bad. But again, regardless of the alternative you're looking at for small businesses, for candy shops, no matter who you are, if you're buying sugar, if this labor dispute continues, you are likely to pay more for your sugar. And we are going into a season where uh, even though, like you said, uh, there maybe are a lot of people trying to cut back on sugar consumption, and I uh, think that's a yeah. good thing. We are going into the holiday season where, in many cases, people tend to ramp that up. 
That's right. So for, for people listening right now, if you go to a grocery store to buy bags of sugar, don't be surprised to start seeing signs asking you to limit the number of bags you're allowed to buy per visit. That will likely happen, and I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. There was a comment from Carol again with Lee's Donuts saying that from, even from the wholesaler that they have been putting in some limits and it's been changing a bit depending on their supply. But but at least so we are seeing it there a little bit. I know, Sylvain, you always, though, advise people and we talked a lot about this during the pandemic. Don't go and hoard. Don't hoard by. Don't don't be greedy that way. But what about people who are hearing this thinking, oh, well, if I'm going to be doing holiday baking or I, I need sugar and I, I'm almost out and don't want to leave it till those store shelves are empty so i'm not a cook i'm not a (laughs) professional baker but i I think there are ways to do things you want to do without uh, the an excessive amount of sugar you can actually replace sugar again i'm not a i'm not a professional in cooking or or baking but you may want to think about you know reformulating a little bit and reduce the amount of sugar you use Uh, and the other thing of course uh, to your point just don't stockpile. I mean, stockpiling is the worst thing can happen. It pushes prices higher and a lot of people just don't have the product. Now, again, it's not like baby formula. We're, we are talking about sugar here, mm-hmm. uh, but think, think about others. That's, that's the important thing. All right. Well, we uh, like you said, and uh, we know that talks uh, are resuming today, so perhaps uh, there will be an update on this dispute. Sylvain, always great to chat with you. Thank you so much for doing this. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Well, the B.C. government has been getting feedback from workers in the gig economy, whether it's ride hail or other app based workers, getting feedback as well from those companies as to what would make the work environments better and perhaps even more fair right across the board. And joining me now to talk more about the feedback and what might happen next is Harry Baines, B.C.'s Minister of Labour. Minister, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. This is something that your government has been asking for feedback, certainly from people specifically in the industries, app-based workers, workers who work in ride-sharing, ride other types of industries. What have you heard as far as some of the biggest concerns? Yes, you know, um, everyone knows economy is changing. And um, as the economy is changing, our laws also must keep up with the new economy. Um, now you see that that um, all you see is that the workers who appear at the touch of a button, you know, drive us uh, to, to places you want to go or deliver meals, uh, you know, that they are treated fairly. And uh, that's why we believe that regardless what type of work you do, that you must enjoy uh, basic standards and protection that all workers enjoy in British Columbia. So I think uh, the only way to do that was to go and talk to the industry, talk to those workers who are experiencing those challenges on a daily basis. And it's not a 7 to 3.30 job. Uh, you have a two coffee breaks and lunch break, uh, and then you come home after working with a single employer. Uh, it is a, a quite different economy, and uh, these workers face uh, uh, quite a few challenges uh, when it comes to minimum wage, whether they are paid, when it comes to health and safety protection, and also whether they are um, 
you know, there's a transparency how they are paid and how they are treated. So all those things, uh, you know, we took it to them and they came back and they gave us uh, uh, quite a bit of information about the challenges and their experiences uh, in that particular industry, which is different than regular, you know, 7 to 3.30 or or uh, 4 to 8 uh, jobs that we, you know, traditionally used to have. Right. But when you talk about those things as well, and, and, and some of the things that you just outlined as far as issues in these types of jobs, aren't those also the things, the flexibility, the working, whatever hours you like, the, the, the kind of being your, your own, picking your own schedule, aren't those many of the, the things that also draw people into this line of work? Absolutely. I think that was one of the things that uh, we heard, and that's why we need to find some different ways to provide protection to these workers because they are different. Uh, like I said, they are not, uh, you know, starting at one time and finishing on a, on a regular scheduled time. Uh, these workers uh, can engage when they want. Uh, they need their flexibility to, uh, to drop out whenever they want. And I think so both companies and the workers told us that they like to keep the flexibility part of the job that, that they enjoy today. So that will be considered when we bring new um, uh, changes to, to provide them the protections. So when you talk about bringing in new changes, what does that actually look like? Well, I think the very basic, uh, um, I think, expectation of all workers, and I as a Minister of Labor and our government, we believe that regardless of your uh, immigration status, regardless of sector you're working in, regardless of what type of work you do, that there must be basic standards uh, that, that uh, workers in British Columbia enjoyed traditionally. For example, are they paid minimum wage? That's one area we need to look at. Uh, how their wages are calculated, uh, we need to look at that part. If they're injured at work uh, due to the work-related injuries or illnesses, are they protected under the WCB? And, um, and also, uh, when they're uh, many times, you know, uh, we heard that uh, their app is suspended or deactivated uh, because companies may have heard some complaints about this driver. There's no process for them to, uh, to uh, you know, address that issue. Sometimes it takes days and weeks before that issue is addressed, and sometimes it's found that uh, it wasn't the worker's fault. Uh, but there's no um, way to, uh, to correct uh, the mistakes that uh, may have taken and caused them uh, to lose money. Uh, during that period of time. So I think those are some of the things that we've heard, and those are the areas that we would be looking at uh, providing the protections for. What would it mean to the cost, though, when we talk about, and I'll use, say, a ride hail or even a, a, a food delivery app, a, a driver or a delivery person with food delivery. I mean, people will use these businesses and use these services because, yes, they add to the bill, but they're still affordable and, and people don't mind paying for the convenience. If you bring in all of these changes, does that not also drive up the price? Well, I think uh, you're right. Um, uh, we have heard, in BC, as you know, uh, we have put a cap on when it comes to the food delivery, uh, you know, the percentage uh, that the, uh, the app-based company can charge the, uh, the restaurant, for example. And, but on the ride hail side, uh, yes, it may cost more money, but I, we've heard from the customers as well who use ride hail, who are so accustomed to it, so convenient for them, they said that they are not, you know, they're not opposed to paying a little bit extra as long as those workers uh, are receiving basic minimum protections. And uh, so I think that we, we have uh, uh, received input from, from the customers, from the companies, 
they're saying that yes, they may cost uh, a little bit more, but I think the important part is both workers and companies, uh, the app-based companies, have told us that some regulations, some standards are needed uh, so that there's a level playing field among those companies and at the same time that the workers also get the basic protection that they deserve. I mean, we're talking about 2023, Canada, British Columbia, uh, workers should not be uh, left in a situation where they don't even know uh, what their wages are going to be at the end of the day. Are they, are they being paid minimum wage even? And, you know, when you look at after um, they pay by expenses like vehicle maintenance, uh, fuel, uh, spend time waiting for assignment, their remaining income uh, may be less than minimum wage. I think those are the areas that we are looking at. Uh, is it worth for them to continue to work? Uh, many workers have told us and asked that question uh, because we need to look at all of that, and the companies are um, we're dealing with, uh, they have provided us information as well that they are saying, yes, we need some regulations. We need to standardize um, you know, this industry so that the workers are protected and provide a minimum standards. At the same time, companies have uh, flexibility, as we talked about earlier, for the workers and the companies, and there's a level playing field for all of them. So you're hearing from the companies saying that they want more regulation? They said they need certain standards uh, in order to, uh, to, to have a level playing field because the different companies are operating under different uh, business model. Um, you know, there are companies who provide WCB uh, directly uh, through WCB. Others have their private insurances. So I think, uh, you know, it is, uh, it is acknowledged by the companies that uh, certain standards are needed uh, by the government. Is it different, do you think, Minister, because we're talking about workers or employees or contract workers, however you want to classify somebody that works in an app-based environment, whether, again, it's, it's ride hail or it's food delivery, is, is it different than, say, if we're talking about entrepreneurs or small business owners? Because those are two groups as well that don't have guarantees on income and will often work very long hours over a period of time to make in some cases, to get their businesses off the ground. I mean, there are people that work in different industries that don't have any of these guarantees, and no one's really coming to their aid. Yeah, I think, Jill, you're right. As I said earlier, that economy is changing, and uh, the way we uh, do the work is changing, and uh, our laws need to be uh, uh, to be uh, there in order to uh, make sure that we, we provide them the basic protection. Now, there, when you talk about precarious work or gig work or gig economy, it is quite vast out there, you know, and we are trying, we have, we're not there yet. We're just touching what people face right now, like a food delivery and the right hail is something that they experience. Uh, most people do on a day-to-day basis. And there are other well, occupations and other sectors. Uh, this will be a first step to look at these workers and this industry, particularly right hail in the food industry, food delivery industry, and then, you know, we would have uh, the opportunity to, going forward, look at other industries, how do we provide them protection? Uh, you know, you can call them contractors or employees, but I think uh, many people have make arguments on both sides, but I think the, the basic idea is that these workers um, uh, must be provided the basic minimum standards uh, and protection, whether it's a health and safety, uh, whether it's a minimum wage, uh, or, uh, you know, how they deal with uh, day-to-day affairs with the company, and, 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 and they enjoy the flexibility. You know, I've heard there are, there are uh, workers out there who may use two or 
three different apps at a different t at the same time. They're waiting for one company to see if the work is available. When that work is uh, is uh, is uh, completed, and now they're while they're waiting, another app may provide them work. So it's a little different than the regular employer-employee relationship. But I think that's why we're taking some time talking to uh, industry and the workers to make sure that we at least have a first step. Uh, you know, uh, to deal with the, the minimum uh, protection and, and, and uh, support that these workers need. So will there be new legislation on this or what actually uh, is going to change and do you have a timeline? We are looking at, uh, uh, you know, as soon as we get all the information, uh, I think you will hear more from me in the coming days and weeks uh, because we, are, we will be finalizing what we heard and what the, uh, some of the solutions um, you know, uh, so that um, uh, then then I will have more to say on that, Jill. Uh, I'm not there yet. All right. Minister Baines, I appreciate you making the time to talk more about this today. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Canada's Minister of Transport has called on representatives from Air Canada to show up in Ottawa and explain about three high-profile events. All of these events involved passengers with disabilities. So the representatives with the airline are set to meet with the minister as well as the others involved in this to get a better idea as to how this happened, why this has happened so many times, and what the airline plans to do to keep this from happening again. Well, joining me to talk more about this is Gabor Lukacs, the founder of airpassengerrights.ca. Gabor, thank you so much for being with me. Good afternoon. Are you surprised at all that Air Canada has been summoned, that representatives have been told that they need to go to the House of Commons and they need to explain what happened here? Um. I'm uh, not surprised, but I'm disappointed that this is all we are seeing. Uh, what concerns me is that this type of theatrical act uh, of, of calling out and, and corporations, leaders, and, and asking them to attend a meeting, they don't create real meaningful incentives for the corporation to behave differently. The ultimate incentive is money. If it hits the bottom line, they are going to behave differently. If it doesn't hit the bottom line, they're going to apologize, they're going to promise it will never happen again, and things are not going to materially change. Which is certainly something we've seen, and, and you and I have talked about this in the past as well, when it comes to passengers' rights and, and uh, compensation, and the fact that no matter kind of what has happened in, in those scenarios, that it can be, and still is for many people, a struggle, isn't it, to, to get even the, the airlines to acknowledge or to compensate? That's right. Uh, and again, the same problem. There is no real incentive for airlines financially to comply with the law, and therefore they don't. In these specific cases, they, they seem to be getting more attention. And again, these are three pretty high-profile cases. They've all involved passengers uh, with disabilities. In one case, uh, a man talked about how he had to drag himself. Uh, this was a man with cerebral palsy who had to drag himself off an Air Canada flight because he was told there was no wheelchair assistance available. Uh, that sparked a couple of other uh, people to come forward. Uh, another one uh, saying he, a man saying he was dropped in 
injured by Air Canada staff while trying to get off of a flight in Vancouver. Uh, Does it make it any different, do you think, that we are talking about cases specifically involving people with disabilities? Unfortunately, that's not the real reason to what we are seeing. The real reason is that uh, Canada's uh, chief accessibility officer was affected by it in a recent incident, and uh, that was very highly publicized. And finally, it seems that somebody who has sufficient influence, perhaps, on what the government is is, uh, doing has had a first-hand experience uh, and is also at the same time in a position where she can persuade the government to take it seriously. This type of issues that what you, what you describe, they have been around, they have been known to anybody who follows the industry. Just there, there was no more than perhaps uh, a token. And, it, and even now I'm concerned that in spite of, of uh, the, the chief accessibility officer's best intentions, and I did have a meeting with her, and I do, I, I do believe that she means it's seriously, she, she genuinely cares and, and would like to see things change. But I, my fear is that it, despite her hard work, uh, we may not see much beyond tokenism. And that's where the problem lies. There are regulations in place that require airlines to uh, transport uh, passengers' mobility aids. There are regulations in place that uh, require airlines to provide uh, replacement and provide repair and provide compensation. All these things are in place. But Uh, there are no real meaningful consequences uh, to airlines that actually break the law. And that's where the problem starts. And and you're referring to to Stephanie Cadu, the chief accessibility officer, when her wheelchair was not loaded on the flight. uh, She arrived on an Air Canada flight without the wheelchair. Um, I I know at the time, too, Stephanie Cadu said she didn't want the story to only be about her because of so many other stories out there and so many other examples of where people have not been treated the way that they should. But, But like you said, a lot of people came forward because they saw what happened to her, and she is the chief accessibility officer. Is part of the problem, too, though, we don't even keep statistics on this. We don't keep actual numbers on the, on when things like this happen. Having no statistics certainly doesn't help the situation, although I'm sure that airlines do have the information internally, not that they are going to rush to, to share it publicly. But uh, Stephanie is, is really a, a wonderful person, uh, Based on based on uh, my discussions with her, she does care and she does want to have a change. Uh, it's the problem is not her intention. The question is whether the government is actually determined to do something that will involve inevitably stepping quite heavily on the airline's toes. Right. So so when you talk about this though, kind of being theatrical and not leading to any real change, is there something that could lead to real change or could better address when specifically dealing with people with disabilities and these types of incidents? What would help if, if there were in place a very significant fines to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars for every case where uh, the mobility device is left behind, when it is being damaged, uh, because that would create sufficient financial incentive for airlines to invest money, training resources into ensuring that those things don't happen. Right now, it is really a kind of a, you know, court of public opinion that tries to enforce uh, issues that are very, very significant for persons with disabilities. What listeners uh, have to bear in mind who, who are fortunate not to have a, uh, a disability uh, is that for a person 
uh, with disability, their mobility aid is an extension of their body. It's like your hand, your leg, it does the functions that normally you would do with your body. So it is not just a piece of property. It's not just like your luggage. It's something far more meaningful, far more important than that. Uh, that uh, significance, that importance has not translated uh, so far into awards, into money, into a system that ensures that, uh, that, that if those vital devices are being damaged or left behind, then the airline will fill the pinch at the bottom line. Right. And, and doesn't the bottom line also play into that? Like you said, a wheelchair is not luggage. It is someone's mobility. It is something that is a necessity for somebody, but it's treated like luggage. It, it gets handled the same as luggage. It goes into the cargo of the plane. And isn't that also because of the bottom line? Because to, do, uh, to, to, to make uh, other accommodations would cost the airline more. Well, um, just because something goes into the cargo, it doesn't mean that it, it should be treated badly. Uh, certainly, uh, airlines sometimes transport very valuable items, whether it is vaccines or, or, or some military equipment, possibly, or, or expensive lab equipment. Um, and and they, they are still, they, there are still ways to ensure that, that those items don't get damaged. Uh, so, so it's not per se they, they, they putting it in the, in the cargo hold, which creates a problem. It is that there's no clear understanding, no clear training, no clear culture that even though it goes into the cargo, it is to be treated as somebody's leg and to be treated with that level of care and caution and, and, and that the consequences for breaking it or damaging it will be similar to the consequences of causing someone physical injury. I'm sure that every uh, every airline employee understands that if they cause physical injury to a passenger, then that will be very significant consequence for the company and for themselves personally. There is no similar culture and there is no similar system of consequences for um, the airline that the airline would then be compelled to pass on to the employees involved. Right. And, and you don't think that this uh, calling to uh, the House of Commons or calling to Ottawa for Air Canada to explain this, it, could it lead to potentially uh, any major change or no? I, I fear it will not. It, it's, it's the Canadian cultural way of dealing with things. And, and, it, and it is why we are seeing what we are seeing with passenger rights. Um, we have to remember that... Uh, you know, we may agree or disagree with airline managers, executives, but these people are, are when it comes to disability, they are not evil. They are not evil. It, it is the um, regulatory environment in which the rules are not being enforced, in which the rules are not, there are no consequences for breaking the rules that pushes a, a corporation to do evil things, even though probably people don't mean it to do evil things. So it is not it is not that that somebody in Air Canada's office is doing it deliberately. It is just that currently, when you crunch the numbers, it is cheaper to occasionally pay a fine and publicly apologize uh, than to actually solve the problem and to change that balance of prof profitability to ensure that it will be more profitable to do the morally right thing. The regulatory environment has to change, and that's something that the government has to do. So. In, in some sense, what concerns me is that the government is laying the blame at the feet of the airlines for what may appear to be as the airline's fault, and, and there's some truth to that. But in, when we dig into a, a layer deeper, it is the fault of a regulatory environment where 
the rational thing from the airline is to do something which morally, as humans, we consider unethical and wrong as an outcome. All right. Well, uh, I know uh, a lot of people will be watching to see uh, what Air Canada says and what comes of this. Gabor, as always, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.